The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Good y'all. Welcome to In the Deep, a deep league focused fantasy baseball podcast, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. My name is Jordan White, and I'm joined here once again by my good friend and co-host, Christopher Schwebzy Weber. Schwebzy, how are we doing this week, buddy? Hi, friends. I'm I'm I have mixed feelings. Mixed, I, uh, mixed feelings, I, you say. At least you know, at least when it comes to baseball, because I'm riding a high because the Mets are doing really, really well. But Man, the sense of foreboding that I have, as every good like, Mets fan should have. Yes, even even when they were doing really well, like I still, I, I am always waiting for the other shoe to drop. To the point where, at some point, I made a meme making fun of the Phillies because the Mets were beating up on the Phillies as they have been doing this year. But at the same time, be, because of who I am as a person and what the Mets have done to me in the past. I simultaneously made a meme of Ralph Wiggum from The Simpsons on the bus wearing a Mets cap doing the I'm in danger. <laughs> and I just I, I can't shake it right now like that. The Giants game the other day where with all the big momentum swings and Jock Peterson hitting three home runs, that felt like the start of the decline. You know, did they end up that, still winning that game? No, they they lost and then they lost the next game, too. Okay. Uh, and they lost that game when Edwin Diaz gave up, I think it was four straight singles. Oh, yeah, he had a, a, a very small blow up. Yeah, so Diaz comes in to save today's game against the Phillies, and there's that foreboding. I'm in danger, but then Diaz locked it down, as he has done most of the time this year. Yeah, I wish good. I could shake this feeling. I wish I, could, I, wish I wasn't this way, but the, the, I, the Mets have made me this way. This is who I am now. I'm just constantly waiting for them to figure out how to blow it. You've lost this Metsing feeling. <laughs> Meet the Mets. Meet very, the Mets. Very, very Don Draper energy. God. Yeah, I mean, I, I, at this point, with everything that's happened so far this season, they've already faced quite a bit of hardship, right? I don't think you're going to have to worry about it that much. They've still been good, even with Scherzer going down, even with DeGrom not being back yet. Like, I mean... Maybe, I mean, I, I don't want to say this because mostly I want the Brewers to win the World Series, naturally, but maybe it's the Mets' year. Oh, maybe, maybe you, you, haven't, it. you haven't seen hardship. I, just I'm wait, just, saying, just wait. I'm just it can saying, get worse. Man. It can get worse. I mean, losing like a $40 million pitcher is pretty bad. It's not great. Several. I, I would say several because DeGrom yes. is worth $40 million even if he doesn't get paid it. This is true. This is very true, but... Yeah, I mean, I think things are going to be all right, Schwebsy. So, let's let's have some positivity pumped into this episode. I know that I refuse. You can't make me. <sighs> I tried, folks. I really did. I really, really did. You know, um, I literally, I so, uh, folks, uh, you may not know this about me, folks. I have, I have, <laughs> I have one, I have one tattoo. I have a tattoo on my person. It's on my shoulder, uh, and it's it no, says, it's not. Uh, I've seen it. It's. <laughs> shush it's uh it says optimism in kanji it's and, actually uh, a, it's actually a tram stamp that says pete alonzo a uh, property of pete alonzo <laughs> uh 
I'm not going to follow that up because God, <laughs> um, something, something big meat. Um, yeah. So it's on my shoulder. It's a kanji for optimism. And, uh, the irony is that I never see it to remind myself to be optimistic because it's on my back. It's, it's on my shoulder blade. So I can't actually, you know, it doesn't serve its purpose. It never, I never actually, you know, yeah. The only way you can see, see it, it is if someone takes a photo of it or if you look at it in the mirror where it's backwards. So technically you could interpret that as being the opposite of optimistic yeah, the optimism is behind me <laughs> oh god that's funny i didn't know that about you <laughs> that's very very funny but really when are you getting the big meat pete uh tram stamp that's my question actually if okay here, here here's here's an idea if the mets win the world series <laughs> no i'm not making a bet like that i'm just gonna get pete alonso's face covering my whole torso I mean, that's still good enough for me. I'll take that. Honestly. All right. Uh, what else is going on with us? Um, oh, this article that I've been talking about wanting to write and having been written for, what, like a month and a half now? I'm so at excited. Least, since the beginning of the season. Uh, Strapsy's gotten to read it already because I sent him the the uh, copy of it. I'm just waiting on graphics to get uh, done for it. But my it's Waited During Strikes article is ready to go and should be released within the next week here so keep an eye out for that on the pictureless website uh super excited about how everything turned out super huge shout out to jeff nicholas who helped me immensely uh alex fast for the inspiration obviously uh originally writing the csw article back in the day uh was very great at giving me feedback and asking questions that led me down some other paths down near the end of the article that i think are really helpful in providing some perspective as to why this is really useful. So super happy with the work that I did. I'm glad that my idea actually uh, bore fruit. Uh, it, but yeah. Yeah. We've, we've been talking about it for a long time. I thought it might be like a, like Duke Nukem forever where it's just like vaporware and never comes out, but it, exactly. it's real and it's spectacular. She's here and she's beautiful. <laughs> it's going to be great. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out for that weighted earn strikes, which is an improved, dare I say, form of csw that i think we can uh utilize and benefit from so yeah and hopefully we'll get to quote it a whole bunch moving forward can't uh, wait but yeah before we hop into our deep dives for this week let's just do the usual stuff obviously we have our social media account we have our twitter account at in the deep pl you can follow us there you can also follow us individually at schwebzi that's s-h-w-e-b-s-i no c best come correct and then also bunt singles for myself. Uh, and we also, for those that don't remember, have a mailbag that's going to be in our pinned tweet on our Twitter profile if you want to find it there. Uh, we, we, we got a mailbag question. We do. We're going to answer it later in the episode, too. Ooh. Thank you for, I mean, unfortunately, the individual did, he, he did leave his pronouns in there, but he did not leave his actual name. So uh, if you were the person who submitted a question, please let us know so we can credit you for that. Or if you just don't want to be credited, that's fine, too. Um, but yeah, we'll be answering that later. It's about the Seattle Mariners. But first, let's kick it off with Schwebzi's first deep dive of the week. Uh, Schwebzi, you you got a thing for Diamondbacks or something? Yeah, you're not going to believe this, but I'm talking about an, an another Arizona Diamondback. Water wet. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I guess this is my thing, because I, I thought it was going to be our thing, but Jordan... Doesn't Jordan wants to like just live in the past and be be a San Francisco Giants stan? I've moved on to the new thing, the, and the new thing is uh, is in the desert, the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'm actually mad at myself for having so few shares of this player this year because I was so in on David Peralta in spring training this year, and then he scuffled a bit, and I doubted myself, and now he's showing the things that I was so excited about after the weird team wide. Uh, offense being stuck in the Grand Canyon thing. Yes. Like, and uh, if, you, if you're familiar with the fantastic Twitter and YouTube personality, uh, Foolish Baseball, Bailey, he tweeted yesterday about exactly what I've been talking about all year, and he showed uh, like the difference in like half of the Arizona offenses, like the, the difference between their April and their May. Every single, like every other batter in that lineup seems to be breaking out in a huge way in May. But really, it was because they were so absurdly <clears throat> snake bitten in April. Dear God, <laughs> did you really have to drop it that heavy handedly? 
Yes, I did. But I, th- uh, I genuinely thought you were gonna have to have me. I genuinely thought that I was gonna have to like edit the podcast. Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna write it down. And be like, oh yeah, Shubsy cleared his throat here. Gonna have to edit that out. No, it's just you trying to like emphasize a freaking. Oh my god. Anyways, continue. <laughs> Uh, you get it because the diamondbacks are snakes uh there were reports the person that's a snake here is you schwebzy that's fair (laughs) there were reports in spring training of uh of david peralta spending the offseason looking for a way to revitalize his bat because last year was his second worst season ever it was his worst year since 2016 and uh, when that happens to a nearly 35 year old hitter it's really easy to write an all bat player like that off because there's not a huge chance of a re- of a rebound. But then over the off season, he went to work. He worked with the Astros, Michael Brantley, who you may be aware is good at hitting baseballs at an advanced age. And I cannot stress this enough. David Peralta went hard in the gym this off season. And maybe this is something he always does, but this doesn't did not look like a player who was ready to roll over and die. Uh, there's video out there of him belt squatting 800 pounds, which I showed to Jordan and Jordan, his reaction was to well, actually me into uh, pointing out that this belt squat was not that impressive, but uh, like literally the bar could not hold all of the weight that David Peralta wanted to squat. So he had a woman standing on the bar to add extra weight to it. It was like, it was like the, the, the Lonely Island Oakland A's thing where they were bench pressing ladies <laughs> to work. <laughs> That's true. That, that is good. I will say, uh, so my qualm with this was that David Peralta was doing like very shallow squats and also they were shallow. The, wo- the woman that was standing on, on I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that 800 pounds isn't a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of weight. I would not be able to even touch that. But at the same time, it was just like the, the woman who was standing on top of the weights about halfway down on his on his reps was she, she, she could have been standing on them better, you know? Yeah, she 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 could have actually <laughs> been standing on them when he was down into the bottom of his very, very shallow squat. Um, anyways, I'm not going to I'm not going to. Poo poo on it too much, but continue too late, Jordan, too late. I am the largest hater this week. I don't know why. I really don't know why. I don't know where this came from. I don't know why I decided to be the heel this week. Typically, that's Schwebzy's role. He's the one who wants everyone to hate him. It is. Send have you Jordan gotten? Your... Have you gotten any hate mail? No, zero. Wow, it's unbelievable. Send, can, I, I try so hard. Can y'all send me some hate mail? Well, we did get that one piece of hate mail because we said something about someone's face a few weeks ago, but that's fine. I did. I did. <laughs> so uh, I got snitch tagged. Uh, it is what it is. Yeah, just. But. but well, all right. So. Like I said before, in April, the entirety of Chase Field turned into a glove that the Diamondbacks couldn't stop hitting baseballs into. David Peralta had a 71 WRC plus up until an 0 for 5 on May 1st, which is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from that point forward, however, when the curse of the desert was lifted from the team, Peralta raked to the tune of a 154 WRC plus, more than double. That's good. And in that 20 game time frame, He's hitting 258 with six dingers, eight runs, and 14 RBI, along with a 14% walk rate, which is awesome because this is a guy that usually runs a walk percentage around eight, like between six and eight. Mm-hmm. And the production is good, great, but is it a 20-game blip or is it for real? This is one of those situations where I looked into the underlying metrics and I am smashing that buy button so hard that I am breaking my finger. Uh, a lot of the things that I said about Paven Smith a few weeks ago are, are are here, just even more extreme. Like David Peralta has a career launch angle of six point six percent. This year it's close to twenty percent. His career barrel rate of six is six point one percent. This year ten percent. He's gone from a batter that sprays the ball all over the field to an extreme fly ball hitter seemingly overnight which is weird because he worked out with Michael Brantley and that's very much not Michael Brantley's game, but you know, whatever. Yeah, it worked. (laughs) It's, it's just kind of funny. So uh, David Peralta's career ground ball percentage is 52%. This year it's 30%. So when I said extreme fly ball hitter, I mean extreme. Nearly all of those missing ground balls have gone to fly balls. 
he's hitting them basically twice as often as he has for the rest of his career. Now, there are some bad things here. He's hitting a career-high rate of pop-ups, and pop-ups are maybe the worst kind of batted ball. They basically never turn into hits, and he's doing yep. that 11% of the time. That's bad. and It makes sense, but that's bad. His new fly ball heavy approach, along with those pop-ups, are going to keep his batting average down. He used to be a really reliable 280-plus guy. I don't think that's him anymore. I think we might be seeing like, like the good version of late career Justin Upton here. Mm, okay. You know, like, like I, I was excited about Justin Upton at the beginning of last year because he was, uh, he was kind of like an all-or-nothing power hitter, big fly ball guy. I think that might be what we're seeing here with David Peralta. He used to be a big bat-to-ball guy. He seems to be trying to go for more of a power approach. So David Peralta had one year of 30 home runs back in 2018. Mm-hmm. I don't think he touches that. If we were dealing with like the 2019 juiced ball, I'd say like I'm all in 35 plus home runs. Great. But I, I think with the uh, depressed home run environment, I think we might see like somewhere between 25 and 30. I think he can approach that career high. But for him, like he's never like other than that one year where he hit 30, He's never hit more than 17. I think this is easily going to be his second best year ever power-wise. I'd absolutely add Peralta if you're in need of some power from an outfield spot in anything deeper than a standard league. I'm mm. a little bit concerned that he's gone a little bit too extreme with the fly balls, but the home runs are going to come with this new approach. I can dig it. Um yeah, everything that you're pointing to in terms of the underlying data shows a very clear change in approach, and I think it's really encouraging. I feel like we see a lot of hitters do this later in their careers, too, where they're trying to like lift the ball a lot more, pull ball profile much more uh, prominent, things like that. I mean, and obviously like wh- when that comes with better hard contact numbers as well and like higher barrel rates, like always excellent. So uh, definitely a good call out. So one, There's a lot. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, one last thing that I'd like to mention, especially pointing out those pop-ups. Uh, I mentioned that Peralta's fly ball percentage was, uh, his launch angle was at a career high this year. Yeah. It was even higher in April, and it's actually come down since then. Interesting. Which is when, which is when his production took off. So there may have been a little bit of like calibration there to kind of like figure out his new swing. And like once he got that launch angle down into the actual good barrel range that's when he started taking off i dig that excellent yeah i mean it feels like like kind of like you said i know this is kind of this is your team for this year it feels like almost in a way is the d-backs instead of the giants like it was for me last year and still sort of this year for me as well um pearls is an interesting one do you know offhand where he's been hitting in the order I could figure it out quickly enough. I was going to say, I feel like he's been hitting like three through five right around that area. I mean, he's one of the, he's a veteran. Cause it's like Walker, Christian Walker is usually hitting third or fourth. I feel like he's probably fifth or third. A lot of times. Uh, fifth, almost every day, occasional okay. sixth or seventh, occasional third. Although basically since, uh, since all of the breakouts, they've had kind of Cattell in the three spot. Mm-hmm. They've had a uh, Varsho Rojas Marte, and then Walker locked in in that one through four. And then Peralta okay. will hit anywhere from fifth to seventh. Got it. Okay. Which is a great prime RBI spot, but it, it does explain why the run totals haven't really been there. Yeah, and that's going to happen. Even with the elevated walk rates. Yeah, that's going to happen. I mean, even with the team being as sneaky good as they are offensively, uh, no team is perfect, and they're not going to be completely solid one through nine all the time. Um but yeah, the RBI chances are going to be there. He's probably going to be a more RBI heavy uh, counting stat player. Absolutely. But, yep. Um, no, I can dig it though. I love it. Um, and do you know offhand? Sorry, I forgot to ask this before. What his roster ship numbers look like? Another one I could find out quickly enough. Twelve percent. Heck yeah! Awesome. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's widely widely available. Obviously, just like everyone else we talk about here, it's going to be twenty percent or less. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, David Pearls is dope. I might, mm, there's a couple leagues that I might have to try to get him in. I have to think about it though. Um, all right. 
I'm going to dive into my first deep dive here. And it's actually, admittedly, this isn't actually that big of a deep dive. Um, but I think it's really important to highlight things like this because we've done it before. We haven't done it as much this year, I feel like. Um, and that's looking at upcoming schedules. Uh, so for this one, I want to look at Rich Hill. So elder statesman Richard Hill is still chugging along at his ripe old age of 42. And he's not going as deep into games that often. I think these days, usually it's what it's him and then Tanner Houck often follows him, right? Is kind of the thing that they're doing right now in uh, Boston. Seems um, like it, yeah. That said, he's got a really, really favorable schedule coming up. Uh, so his next four starts, according to Dave Swan's upcoming SP article, uh, SP schedule article on Pitcher List, uh, which, by the way, is absolutely dope, and you should follow Dave on Twitter. I'll post his Twitter handle in the show notes if you want to follow him. Um, but Rich Hill's next four starts, he's got to start at home versus Baltimore, who is... Not great against lefties this year, if you look at the stats. Uh, and then he's got a game at Oakland. Not a great offense. At Seattle, above league average against lefties, so that's kind of tough. Uh, and then at home versus Oakland. So that's basically, I would say, I would, I would argue that that is four neutral or positive matchups for Rich Hill in his next four starts. And I think he's the only person throughout that entire article who has highlighted that has favorable or neutral matchups in his next four starts um basically like i mean this this is me mostly just like shilling for the site and then also for dave (laughs) and this article at this point like it's a super great tool that i absolutely encourage everyone uses and reads when it comes out um it's really useful in planning like the the thing for me it's like it's very important to be able to be on the ball and be ahead of the curve when it comes to having those waiver wire battles for streamers so if you can get people like this that are going to be good for like weeks on end instead of just having to like fight for a guy here or there for a spot start it's really really important to be able to get these guys ahead of everyone else so just keep an eye out for that sort of stuff when you're reading these articles it's really great um so as far as Hill's repertoire goes he's the same person that we've always known him to be right like he throws pretty much his four seamer and his curveball and then he peppers in the occasional slider, changeup, cutter, and sinker. They're all pretty low usage, like right around. I think his slider actually has gone up in usage this year to around like 12%. Uh, the changeup is like three. He peppers in the cutter and slider like one to two percent of the time. Like it's not very often. Um he's still got like a 30.1% CSW, which is ranked pretty highly. It's like 39th in the league, 40th in the league. Um but that CSW number is really, really deceptive because he's not getting the strikeouts. He's only got a 16.7% K rate on the year, which is not good. Um, unfortunately, when I was doing my research for weighted earned strikes, we determined, uh, Jeff and I, that the threshold for qualifying for it should be 570 pitches. If you want to know why it's 570 pitches, we'll explain it in the article. Uh, make sure you read it. But um, I would anticipate that compared to CSW he ranks way 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 lower uh and weighted in strikes so that said the K's might not be there whatever he's been serviceable for the Red Sox this year and honestly that's all he needs to be for your team if you're trying to just stream him off the waiver wire um the ERA is really middling the whip is solid like 1.17 so far this year which is pretty great and can potentially help offset some of the ratio damage that like high volatile or volatile high strikeout percentage arms in your rotation can have. Um, but yeah. And then I also just wanted to highlight too. I know I was mentioning before that like Baltimore was really poor against lefties in 2022. Seattle was above league average. So WRC pluses for each of these teams that he's going to be facing uh, Baltimore 74 WRC plus worst in the league against lefties. Absolutely stream him against Baltimore. Both the Oakland games, they're league average against lefties. I think I feel okay about running him out there for both of these. Um, and then Seattle has a 112 WRC+. plus. That one, I could see you fading if you want to. That's totally fine. I would probably do that as well. Um, but I don't think it's an egregiously bad matchup for him. And wouldn't feel super bad about running him out there against Seattle either. I like it. The yeah. The one thing that I worry about is that I... I 
I worry about Baltimore's versus lefties numbers being fudged a little bit by the new ballpark because righties are struggling in their new ballpark and righties are the ones who are supposed to kill lefties. And that start is going to be in Boston where we just saw noted power hitter Jorge Mateo hit one over the, uh, the left field monster, which I'm sure he was very excited to see is like a hundred feet closer than the, uh, the one in Baltimore. True. So, I mean, you know, not a reason to bench Hill, just, you know, if, if he does happen to get beat up a little bit by, by, uh, righties in the Baltimore righties like Mountcastle and, uh, and all their switch hitters. Yeah. I, you know, I, I wouldn't be the most surprised. Yeah, that's fair. That's, that's worth pointing out. That's a good point. Um, I would actually wonder, I didn't look into this while I was doing my research, but I'm wondering how many lefties they actually faced at home. I know they faced Jordan Montgomery once. Um, feels like, it feels like Jordan Montgomery faced the Orioles three times already this year. It was like they had the exact same match. It was like him and Bruce Zimmerman pitched against each other three times in a row, it felt like. So their WRC plus versus lefties is actually just WRC plus versus Jordan Montgomery. Basically, yes. That's what it feels like, honestly. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I still feel okay running them out there against uh, Baltimore. And then Oakland, obviously, league average. Also really fine. I don't think he's going to get any wins for anyone necessarily. Um, he has pitched in the fifth a couple times this year, but I mean, he's been stuck around like I'd say 55, 65 pitches for most of his outings. And he's followed up by Tanner Houck, who's much more likely to get you a win because he's going to be getting that follow. Um, former in the deep flame, Tanner Houck. Uh, but yeah. A current anchor on all of my ratios. But- current anchor on all your ratios, you said? Hasn't he been? He's been pretty rough this year. Yeah, he's, he's turned it around the last like appearance or two. He's, but he, he, was, he's, yeah, he, he had a few pretty rough outings, but I mean overall, the stuff is still there. I'm just wondering if they're ever going to actually just deploy him as a starter, or if he's just going to be in this tandem situation with Rich Hill for the entire season. It's it's or, such a bummer because it looked like he was ready and raring to go as a starter. And then that whole yeah. Toronto vaccination thing happened, and yep, it, it it I hate to say it, but it looks like that's what lost him his consistent starting role, and kind of like really, really threw a wrench in his routine and uh, season. Yeah, unfortunate. But, but I I I like the dissonance of doing a deep dive on Dick Mountain. Ah, <laughs> that's very um, good. And my 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 favorite thing about Rich Hill. I just love that, like, so he he throws his curveball and his four seamer from the same slot, right? Almost, almost, uh, uh, directly uh, overhead. Yes. And and then for his slider and his changeup, he drops completely sidearm. And I love it. It's just the weirdest thing. Well, it's kind of like what Nestor Cortez does too, right? With his sinker, kind of. Ex- like, ex- Nestor is more like a, uh, like, like he'll he'll tweak things like throughout a start and like throw from a lot of different arm angles whereas rich hill is just like you know these two pitches are this arm angle these two pitches are this arm angle well no i feel like he literally he throws most of his pitches from one arm angle but i think i think it's specifically the sinker if oh, i remember Cortez? right yes well you, you are the, Nest, the nester expert if so. i'm remembering correctly i feel like i looked at his like release point chart because i know that he drops down on one or two of his pitches i think it's it's slider sinker okay yeah so um so it's like on rich hill's release point chart you can see two very distinct areas mm -hmm. whereas with nestor cortez it's more like a strip like he he does vary uh, has pitched a lot he's so fun man i'm glad that he's continuing to be good Ugh. (laughs) all right uh all right let's take a a quick ad break and we'll be right back after this Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code 
podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well, from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball, even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. All right, we are back. Okay, Schwebzy, I talked about a pitcher the first time around, and you talked about a hitter. Let's flip-flop it. Let's have you talk about a pitcher here. Let's talk about Jeffrey Springs. I was so nervous putting this <laughs> these notes together because I thought I was going to Jordan myself. What does that mean? Well, last week, uh, Jordan was talking about Jacob Junis, and Jacob Junis proceeded to give up four runs in an inning in his start. As we were putting the notes together. Well, while I was talking about Jeffrey Springs today, he had a start against the Yankees, which made everything in me clench up. Uh, but he was good. So the fun thing was I said I was going to talk about Jeffrey Springs. Yes. And it, we were two innings into the start at this point. And I said, you know what? Let me let me watch the game so I can get some insight into like what makes Jeffrey Springs work. Folks, pro tip, never watch the game. Never watch the game. Never watch as the game. Soon as, as soon as I put the game on, it was just hard hit ball after hard hit ball. I think all seven of the hard hit balls that Jeffrey Springs allowed today came after I turned that game on, including two home runs on elevated fastballs, which mm. were elevated but not elevated enough as Glaber Torres hit one about 450 feet. And Matt Carpenter, back from the dead, basically, in his, yeah. I think, second game as a Yankee, uh, hit hit some uh, lefty-lefty crime off of Jeffrey Springs on an up-and-in fastball. And Was yeah, this in uh, Yankee Stadium? No, this was in Tampa Bay. Was it? Okay. I was wondering yeah. if it was a short porcher, but yeah, okay. No, no. Hit it. He, he got it good. So I, uh, I thought seeing those two home runs that the in-the-deep curse was real, but turned out that Jeffrey Springs was able to figure it out. He got it together, and those two solo shots were the only runs that he allowed. Now, he didn't get a win because Tampa Bay could not put any runs on the board while he was in there, but it was a, it was a pretty good start against a pretty good offense. If you don't know anything about Jeffrey Springs, he is a 29-year-old lefty with middling velo who, before this season, had 129 career innings, all but five of which were in relief. And... While those 129 innings came with really nice strikeout rates, they also came with a 4.73 ERA, too many walks, and a home run problem. When you hear a career reliever who walks too many guys and has a home run problem, if you if you think that that is a future ace starter, I I. You have a different method of analysis than I do because I would never have pegged Jeffrey Springs as a, you know, blood red baseball savant page kind of pitcher. Well, the Rays got a hold of him last year and they've seemingly turned him into a completely different pitcher as, you know, as as the Tampa Bay Rays are wont to do. Now, broadly, what we're looking at. So he's a starter now, obviously, which is weird. He... Since 2017 in the minors, he has started four games, and he has already started more than that this year. So weird. that's weird to start. It's really weird for a me- mediocre reliever to, you know, turn into a starter, period, let alone a good one. But whatever. Ray's going to Ray. Um, looking through his repertoire, I'm actually really, really feeling this. Like, just looking at the results on his pitch types, he's not allowing a Wobo over 281 on any of his three pitches and his best pitch which is a changeup that he throws like 40 percent of the time he's allowing a 173 woba on that pitch is that good jordan i think the kid i think the streets are saying that's good streets say it's good the streets, Must be say, good. The streets say it's good and he gets a 43 whiff percentage on that changeup which is so incredibly high it's a top 10 changeup in baseball. It, it just mm. is. It's like third in usage rate. So he throws it more like rate wise more than just about anybody else. 
and it's I, I I forgot the number, but it's seventh or eighth in both swinging strike rate and CSW rate, which is you know good. He's getting strikes with it. He's getting swings and misses, and that changeup even led to him getting the coveted gallows pull in his last start before today uh, at Baltimore. You you may remember me saying that at Baltimore is among the better streams in baseball this year. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. who the pitcher is. If you're not familiar with the gallows pull, that is the award that uh, that Nick gives Nick Pollock gives to the pitcher every day who gets the most whiffs in a start. And surprisingly, that is not named out of after uh, Joey Gallo. His fastball isn't good, but he uses it really well, and so it gets good results. He locates it well, and it gets a 31 CSW, which is better than league average by a significant amount. It's funny, I, I also wouldn't call his slider good, but again, he uses it really well. Like, if you've ever heard of a show-me curveball, this is a show-me slider. He uses it to steal strikes. It doesn't get whiffs. It gets mostly called strikes. And as a result, it doesn't really get whiffs, but it has a great called strike rate. So it's not what you want out of a slider, but he makes it work. I don't know how much of this is like him or the Rays just being wizards with pitching, but it doesn't really matter. Like it's working incredibly well. As long as the changeup stays elite, I think the only thing that's going to stop him is if the fastball control slips, which obviously, you know, that can happen, but that's one of those things that we can't really predict. So I, I'm, I'm rolling with it. Like, I love Springs. I've added him in at least two or three leagues. We, uh, of course, when we're talking about a Tampa Bay Ray, I had to ask a super fan of In the Deep and Tampa Bay Rays fan, Yancey Eaton. And uh, Yancey said that he wishes that Springs had more velo, but the opportunity is there because the Rays absolutely are in dire need of starting pitching innings right now. Mm-hmm. So he thinks that they're going to throw Springs as many innings as he can handle. He's already up close to 100 pitches. I think I think like 90 plus. I've not seen uh, but, his most recent start. I, I could not tell you offhand. Well, I mean, he went six today against the Yankees, but mm. um, Yancey feels like he's matchup dependent and he's not going to run him out there in tough matchups like against the Yankees or the Angels I'll admit to having benched Springs for his good start today against the Yankees but I'm pretty much in the same place um I I, I'm you know I I regret benching him against the Yankees but I feel like it was good process bad results it happens uh he's he gave up a bunch of hard hits because the Yankees are a good enough team that they did not swing and miss at the changeup that much so his best weapon was neutered, but he still got through six with only allowing two earned runs. So does that speak to the Yankees just hitting into bad luck or Jeffrey Springs being able to survive his best weapon being uh, neutralized? Not sure, but it's a success. So I, I'm in on Springs. I'll probably still bench him against like the best of the best offenses. Mm-hmm. But I'm absolutely, I, I have him, like I said, I have him on a few teams and I'm going to be running him out there against, you know, 80% of the teams in baseball. I dig it. So like what leagues exactly do you think you want to add him in? So with, with pitchers, it's a little weird because, uh, you know, every, every league is different with their pitching staff sizes. Yeah. Anything deeper than a 12 team or even like, even I, I, I have 12 team leagues deep enough that I would roster Springs, you oh, know, wow. like, okay. Like, you know, I, I think I, I don't have him in our staff leagues, but I, I might at some point, you know, he's, he's probably in streamer territory for 12 teamers, but anything deeper than a 12 teamer, I would be adding to keep, you know? Absolutely. Dig it. All right. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of like what leagues I would really, really want Jeffrey Springs in. And also I'm trying to figure out if he is available in my TGFBI league or not. I feel like Ooh. he probably isn't. I would guess. So the um, leagues that I had, the league that I, I have him in my AL only. Yep. And I added him in at least two of my dynasty leagues with like roughly 15 teams, I want to say. And like, you know, like nine or 12, uh, I want to say 10 people uh, pitching staffs. So 150 pitchers deep. I am genuinely looking right now to see 
Also, yep. he's got that he's got that Sparp eligibility. Ooh, that's always good too. I love that. Yeah, that's another thing that's really really important that I think I think I've actually forgotten to mark that about certain people recently. I wonder if it is Junis Sparp eligible too. I believe so. Yeah, I, I know. I know he pitched in relief for the Giants, but I'm mm-hmm. not sure if it was enough. You know? Okay. Yeah. I mean, oh man. Yeah, Sparp eligibility is so nice. I know that for Yahoo leagues, especially, I love having Sparp eligible pitchers who are like, um, especially when it's like stars like Ranger Suarez was someone that I targeted this year because he was, he had Sparp eligibility was just going to be starting all the time and getting a ton of volume. Um, for Michael, for Kopech, those at home. For, for those at home who think we're speaking in tongues right now, SPARP is starting pitcher and relief pitcher eligibility. Oh, yeah, we never actually said what that meant. Yeah. I, mean, I, assume that, I assume that most people listening to this, but not all, obviously, will know what that means. It's just, so. just fun to say. SPARP. 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 Um, it is a Drink word. SPARP. SPARP. It's what it's like, plants like, crave? It's like slurm. <laughs> Y'all remember Brondo? Um... Do you remember the movie Idiocracy? Just running through like the widest spectrum of references here. Y'all remember uh, dropping no, I'm not, I'm not Futura- Futurama and Idiocracy references within seconds of each other. Good news, everyone. We're moving on to the next deep dive. <laughs> good, good news, everyone. We're moving on from good this bit. Good news, everyone. Um, I'm going to talk about Tyrone Taylor next. What a transition that was. Uh, so this might strike most of you as surprising but i in particular enjoy talking about milwaukee brewers on this podcast because i am a fan of the milwaukee brewers look in in your defense in your defense i too am a big tyron taylor fan and i've been begging the brewers to give him full-time plate appearances since late last year i think we're on the precipice finally that's kind of where i'm getting getting at with this um uh, it hurts to talk about this a little bit uh so Tyron Taylor has stepped in to fill the void left by Hunter Renfro because Renfro headed to the IL with a hamstring issue. I don't know if it's supposed to be an extended period of time past like the 10 day. I think he's just on the 10 day IL. I don't think it's going to be a long stint for him. Um, what I do see this as, though, is an extended audition for Tyrone Taylor to possibly get just regular playing time all the time. Why is that? Because as much as it hurts me to say this, because this is quite possibly my favorite Milwaukee Brewer outside of like Brent Suter and uh, Aaron Ashby, obviously. What a list. I, I know it's I know it's a list. I know it's a list. Um, Lorenzo Kane has been a massive liability at the plate this year. Um, he's hitting only 183. He's got a WRC plus of 36. Just really, really not good. Um, and the only real value that he's been providing lately uh, in terms of like actual statistical contributions, if you can even call it that really, is just that he's still playing really good outfield defense in terms of like chasing down fly balls and things like that. The arm is obviously not a great arm, but um, he is still a decent outfield defender with his speed. Um, that said, I think his time as a regular in the Brewers lineup is rapidly coming to a close. They're going to have to make a change. Um, and I think that he's likely going to be relegated to the bench as a defensive sub uh, when it comes right down to it, which is sad to, to think about with all the stuff that he, all the great plays that he's made over the years. I love Lorenzo Kane so much, but I think it's probably time. Um, on the other hand, uh, Tyrone Taylor is finding a ton of success at the plate. As of late, he hit three home runs and 12, had 12 RBIs over the past two weeks. Uh, his exit velocity numbers, he hasn't really like upped his max exit velo as of yet. Um, and they're not exceptional by any means, but they have gotten better this year. Uh, his average EV is nearly two points higher than it's ever been at any point in his career. And his hard hit rate is a career high 45.8, which is really, really solid. Um, he's going to be a fade for OBP leagues. This is more so just like a batting average league recommendation. So keep that in mind when I'm talking about him. Um, he does not walk very much and the BABIP is kind of low because he lifts the ball in the air quite a bit. Um, that said, he could see really meaningful playing time moving forward, not even just like while Renfro is hurt, but even beyond that, if he plays well enough, I think that right now he's a really, really good stash target just in case he does earn more playing time. 
uh, and I'm thinking of like 15 team or like five outfielder leagues here uh, is mostly where I'm finding that value. If you have deep enough benches where you can just hang on to Taylor for a little bit. Uh, so well, looking at rest of season projections, they generally have him clearing like a hundred games played while putting up an additional 10 home runs and about 80 ish runs plus RBIs. I think that they're selling him a little bit short and I'm going to take this moment to proclaim that I genuinely believe that Tyrone Taylor is going to get 15 more home runs and a hundred plus a hundred or more runs plus RBIs through the remainder of the season. So basically like that, that's a playing time gamble more than a skills gamble. Yes. A hundred percent. I think he earns the playing time and that's what it is. It's not even like a skill set thing. Like if he, if he is hitting like where he has been hitting, cause if I remember right, he's been hitting like sixth which that's behind like Andrew McCutcheon, Rowdy Telez, right? Um, those are good hitters. Uh, Rowdy's been having a great year. Obviously, we talked about him on the podcast before. Kutch uh, has shown flashes of it. It's been hot and cold a little bit for him, but he's been looking pretty good as of late, I would say. Um, and then obviously, like, Yelich is going to get on base at an absurd clip all the time, even if he's not hitting the ball super-duper hard. Um, Colton Wong's fantastic, obviously. Luis Arias is having a is poised to have a breakout season, in my opinion. I mean, there's going to be plenty of opportunities to knock runs in. I think this is going to be definitely a higher RBI total than a run total, kind of like when Schwebzy was talking about uh, David Peralta before. Kind of a similar situation, similar spot in the lineup. Um, but yeah, no, I really, really, really love Tyrone Taylor's, uh, in, at this moment in time, his opportunity that he has, so... I would recommend grabbing him and hanging on to him. 12 of the last 13 games. Yeah, man. We'd like to see that. So I have a question. Yes. Go for it. So I was talking about Jeffrey Springs. I mentioned that he had a blood red baseball savant page, and we all know what that looks like when I say blood red savant page or, you know, anybody who frequents that site. Tyron Taylor, his savant page is all red, but it's all kind of more towards the middle. So it's a little, got got a little bit of white mixed in. So it's more of a what are we what are we going to call that? Is that like an all all rouge and all blush? A rose colored, rose colored, because maybe we're looking at him through rose colored glasses. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Like he, 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 like it's, it's definitely all, like it's 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 in the right direction, but it's not necessarily like great. It's an right? all rose, uh, savant page. Mm. Yes, <laughs> I want a glass of rose now. Sorry. No, it's okay. I just don't have a rosé here. That's the only reason it's disappointing. Dang. Okay. All right. Uh, I think that's all we have for deep dives now. Yeah, that's it. Um, So let's move on to, oh gosh, we're just going to talk about another brewer here real quick. We're going to have our uh, graduation ceremony. And uh, this one this week, we're just going to dedicate it to one person and one person this only. This is a big one. The circumstances are not what I'd like because it's mostly because... Freddie Peralta is hurt and he's going to be out for an extended period, which is very, very crummy. And also I just found out right before we started recording that Brandon Woodruff left the game with ankle discomfort, even more discouraging, but, 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 but Aaron Ashby has cleared the 20% threshold and I might cry (laughs) just like a little bit moment, moment of silence for us being able to talk about Aaron Ashby. I mean, yeah, this is just the end of the podcast, isn't it? You just killed a moment of silence. Way to go. I, well, I do what I can, you know. <laughs> well, moving on from the graduation ceremony. Yes. Uh, we had a mailbag question. We did. Thank and, you. I, I know we, we we pumped it last week, and thankfully someone did submit a question. That's fantastic. We love answering these, obviously. Um, And again, as I stated at the top of the episode, if you want to submit a mailbag question, be sure to send it to us. It's going to be a link that's in the pinned tweet on our Twitter profile, which again, our handle is at in the deep PL. So you can find it there. All right. So this question, again, we, we wish we knew who it was from, but they did not leave a name, unfortunately. But they asked what to expect from Kyle Lewis for the rest of the season. Don't the Mariners have too many outfielders when healthy? And the answer is yes and no, because the Mariners, in theory, have too many outfielders. But 
the question is how many productive outfielders do they have? Correct. Because like right now they have Taylor Trammell out there who has played four out of five games, but is Taylor Trammell going to continue to earn playing time? I question that. He had a home run today, which is great, but I, I just don't know that he's going to be able to get like, it's like Kelnick. It's like Trammell was another top prospect, but like mm-hmm. Kelnick, he has, he just hasn't shown it at the major league level yet. The Mariners clearly want to get Kyle Lewis's bat in the lineup. I, I've talked about Kyle Lewis at length on this podcast before. You you all should know by now, I'm, I'm a big Kyle Lewis fan. I expect a lot out of him. I expect him to be an everyday bat in that lineup, whether it's out at the DH spot or in the outfield, because, yes, there's a lot of potential in the outfield bats of the Mariners, in Trammell, Kelnick, uh, I guess... I mean, Haggerty brings some things to the table. Dylan Moore brings some things to the table, and they can all technically play outfield. But I, I think by the end of the year, once Kelnick makes his uh, makes his presence known again, or or Hanniger gets healthy or whatever, I think we're going to see Winker, Julio Rodriguez, Kyle Lewis, Mitch Hanniger, and Kelnick in a rotation there. And until then, it's going to be however many of those five are healthy or in the majors. True. Um, oh, man. This is this is the moment where I feel like I'm going to be a little bit contradictory towards you, Schwebzy. I don't know. I don't know when we see Kelnick back. I mean, that that's a good thing uh, for this question. It that is for this Kyle- question, but it's just like, it makes me sad. Like I want Kellnick to be good, obviously. Um, yeah. Why, why would you time, apologize to me? I know. I know. It's it, actually <laughs> no. I shouldn't apologize to you, knowing the context. I, I know the context of this. I should. I should not apologize. If anything, you no, should no. Be, the if, the Uber anything, prospect that my team traded away is going to be bad. Oh no. If anything, you should be thanking me. Um, but just looking at it right now, like the people who are going to be starting the outfield, it's mostly been uh, Adam Frazier bouncing back and forth between left field and right field. And then he's also played a bit of second base here and there. Um, actually played second base a lot of the time now that I'm looking at it um, and hitting third in the lineup. I just, I think that Adam Frazier ends up going to second base and he really just does not play any outfield once like Hanniger is back. Yeah. Their and ideal like, team does, does not have Adam Frazier in the outfield. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, you're still going to have someone who can play outfield and eventually like Dylan Moore. Um, you're going to have five outfielders on the roster already. I don't know if there's necessarily a spot for Kelnick to come back to with the way that Julio has been playing. Like, man, he's been fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be up to him. It's if, if he tears the cover off the ball in triple a, they'll give him another chance. I just wonder how much playing time he'll get if, if he does actually come back, yeah. though, I is mean, the thing. It, but it prob- like I said, it probably just turns into a five-man outfield slash DH rotation, if I had yeah. to guess. God, I want him to be good. I really, really want him to be good. I Look, I, I can feel more than one thing. I contain multitudes. I, For the good of baseball and for the fun of baseball, I would love for Jared Kellenick to be good. That would be fun. But also, as a hater and Mets fan... It brings me some measure of glee that he's terrible. Isn't that just like the same? Isn't that kind of redundant? Yes. Hater and Mets fan? Yes. Okay. Just making sure. As a Mets fan, I am naturally a hater of, <laughs> uh, I don't know, the Cardinals, the Mets, the Braves. Uh, I could go on. It's a lot of teams. I'm Yourself. a hater. Yes. Obviously. Just kidding. Obviously. I'm just kidding. Shrubsy, no. No. Don't make it sad. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. All right. Um. Shrubsy, I might pull an audible here. We're already 53 minutes into this podcast. We might go a little bit long. Can we, let's just do the, why haven't you picked these guys up yet section? Yes, but there there are, there there are a couple names for the honorable mentions that I feel obligated to talk about. We're not going to, we're not going to go through all of them, but we can definitely do some of them for sure. Sure. Okay. So just like a real quick, uh, why haven't you picked these guys up yet? Go ahead, Shrubs. Yeah, I mean, this is our section for the guys that should be rostered. They should be over 20%. We want these guys to graduate. They should have graduated by now. They haven't yet. I don't understand it. Nico Horner just came off the IL today. We are 
Nico Horner stands. We have been for, for a while now. He is off the IL. He hit a dinger. He is making a mockery of my home runs or war uh, question, you know, which would be greater for a full season of Nico Horner. Yep. Complete mockery. And he is making Jordan look like a genius because Jordan talked about his swing change last year and the possible power that it could unlock. Bing bong. I can't follow that up. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. I'm really good. I'm, I'm, I'm doing an excellent job at setting you up to talk about stuff tonight. Yeah, you're, you're really, you're setting me up to get fired is what you're doing. Um, <laughs> next guy, Danny Jansen, big fan. I, I, Danny Jansen is part of a board bet that Jordan and I have, and Danny Jansen is going to win me that board bet he unless is. he gets hurt he again. Is. He is. Uh, he's, the batting average isn't anything to write home about, but he keeps hitting for power, and he's in a great ballpark for that. Spencer Strider, he's awesome. He's a reliever, but he's awesome. He's very uh, good. Like, just because he's not going to get you wins at this point in time doesn't mean that he will not be valuable for you throughout this season. I sound like I'm scolding you because I am. If he's on your waiver wire, <laughs> pick him up. Just this is why you drop, listen to our drop. podcast so you can be like yelled at, so you can be berated for not picking up just Spencer Strider. Drop if you have like Herman Marquette, just drop him. Pick up Spencer Strider instead. Spencer Strider will be more valuable for you this year. I don't. I don't even think that. I don't think that's a hot take. <laughs> um, and uh, last for this section, Edwin Rios. Uh, Edwin Rios did this really well. The Dodgers did this really weird thing where they started Edwin Rios for three games in a row. I said you had to pick him up immediately because they were playing him, and then they benched him for like four games, and I felt stupid. And then they started playing him again. I don't know what they're doing. The Dodgers, I assume, are smarter than me, so I assume there is a method to this madness. But he's playing every day. He's hitting in lovely spots in the lineup. He just hit his sixth home run of the season today. Uh, Edwin Rios has now played. He has now been the DH for six straight games, and he has he's hitting cleanup and fifth in some of these games for the best team in baseball. Roster, Edwin Rios. Love that. Yeah, I mean, Rios, I'm surprised that he is still underneath that 20% roster ship threshold. I, feel I, like really, the, I, I really feel, don't get it. I feel like that section is turning into like, you know what grinds my gears? That's like, that's like my, my let it all out section. Why don't you roster these people yet? You specifically, listener. I, I really hate you, Shrebzy, because you almost made me do a Peter Griffin impression. I I, I, I almost went in on it, and I did. And the, I had the, some. Luckily, the people tonight, at home, the people at home want it. No, they do. No, no, they do not. They don't want this. They don't want this smoke, Shrebzy. We're moving on. I'm not going to do it. I I, I drop I'm, the drop for, the, for the Boston first, Seth McFarlane, you coward. For the first time in my life, Shrebzy. I'm going to exercise self-restraint <laughs> and I am not going to do just a, a very mid Peter Griffin express, uh, impression. Jordan, I've never seen you do a mid thing in your life, our lives, our, buddy, our, our brief lives together. Buddy, online life isn't real life. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you that. I am nothing All but right. mid. Anyways, <laughs> we're going to we're going to be quick about this honorable mention section maybe skip some names that uh we don't feel are as relevant as some of the others um Shrubs, I'm, gonna uh, you, I'm gonna make you pick three. Ooh, three. yes you get All to right. pick three that's fair i'm gonna All do right. two. christopher morell uh you might be asking who is christopher morell he is a 23 year old prospect a, a kind of an unheralded prospect for the cubs this man is tooled up he is incredibly fast he has great top end power done everything you could want a debut to do like he's he's hit a couple home runs he's stolen a couple bases he's hitting for average he's see he's walking he's hitting leadoff uh i i literally i have been asking around guy like i've been asking people am i crazy if i drop max muncie for christopher morell a little bit like i on i honestly like yes if muncie it I, I i'm a little bit crazy yes but I honestly, I think Muncie might be washed, and I think Morell has just just this multifaceted tool set that could be really valuable this year. I'm probably going to wind up dropping somebody else, but I am aggressively going after Christopher Morell wherever I can. Dig it. Um, one of the people on my list that I had, well, actually, not one of the people on my list. It was someone that Trubsy put down, but I thought was just an absolute trap. So this is more of just like a please buyer beware, don't please don't do this, Kevin Kiermeyer. Um. It feels like a massive trap. 
to me uh before this like one week long hot stretch that he is on that boosted his average by like 60 points or something crazy he was hitting 174 and i think we've missed the the thick of the hot stretch um that sounded dirty (laughs) (laughs) oh god anyways uh no i i I would steer clear of kevin kiermeyer and his beautiful eyes do not let that uh that siren call of kevin kiermeyer draw you in please to all the fellow sailors out here in the deep listeners i just need to play up that i just need to pull up that player portrait one time and i'm hitting that ad button don't do it just don't do it please for the love of god anyways uh yeah that's all i got on kiermeyer all right i'm gonna cheat i'm gonna talk about this group of Oakland A's outfielders as my second player, Seth Brown, Ramon Laureano, and Chad Pinder, all still under 20%, all still bring value for various reasons. Uh, Ramon Laureano brings a multifaceted, you know, five-tool tool set, and I don't understand why he's sub-20%. Like, yes, he was suspended, but he's back. He was like a, I, I got, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I have to imagine he was a top 30 outfielder, like, before he was suspended. Didn't he have an injury scare right after coming back too? Or is that just me? So. I, mean, I thought he had like I, a hand maybe, thing or something like that. But. Maybe he ran into a wall. He always runs into walls, but mm. uh, but he's back. He's having a rough stretch upon returning. He's going to be fine. He's given you no reason in the past to think that he's going to, you know, be bad for the whole season. Stash him if you can. I, I honestly, I would just add him and stick him in my lineup. I, he could go off at any time. Uh, he's walking a lot more than before. He stole a bag today. Love it. And uh, Chad Pender hit a dinger today. Seth Brown hit a dinger yesterday. I still think Seth Brown is a, like a streaky player who is going to like go off on a complete tear at some point soon. He had a combo meal when he hit that home run. He's got a couple steals, which mm. is weird and unexpected. But yeah, so yeah, Oakland A's, those are the three that I care about mainly. So yeah. All right, cool. I will pair together two players as well. So I'm going to talk about... Actually, I'll pair... I'll put three people together. Now that I think about it, I can do three San Francisco Giants. Haha. Do it up. You're not the only one that can play this game, Schwebzy. Uh So, Darren Ruff, same story, same song and dance. Get him in your daily lineup leagues where you can play the platoon splits and when he's going to be in the lineup and just squeeze as much value out of him as you can. Uh, Evan Longoria is back and healthy. Fantastic. He's hitting in the heart of the order every day. The underlying data is good. Schwebzy proved me wrong on that. I was like, oh, man, he's been bad since he came back. And then Schwebzy's like... He's still hitting the absolute crap out of the ball, which he is uh, like super high barrel rates. Uh, it's mostly just luck based, I would assume. Um, yeah, no, his his savant pages looks as good as ever. Yeah. So Evan Longoria, obviously a fantastic ad. And then also on the pitching side of things, uh, Jacob Junis covered him at length last week. If you want to know what I feel about him, it's still the same. Uh, even after giving up four runs in the first inning, he still ended up pitching, what, six innings in that game? Yeah, 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 no, he it was really not that bad of a game. But, it was almost uh, a just, very poor quality start. Yeah. I just have to throw in that trying to squeeze juice out of like a, a Giants platoon out of Darren is like trying to squeeze pineapple juice. Rough. No. It's too late. It's already out there in the world. Uh, my last uh, player. <laughs> y'all, I, it hurts. It hurts. I have chest pains when he does these things. My last player bring, is... Uh, bring us home. <laughs> bring us home. Uh, I really, really, really like David Peterson as a one-start spot starter. Um, he, he, he beat the Giants, like, shockingly. Like, we all thought lefty against the Giants. Oh, no. Do not... Well, at least I thought. Do not start David Peterson as much as I like him. But next start is against Washington. I think that's a fantastic start. So I'm sure he'll get obliterated, but I'm going to start him there anyway uh, because it's a good matchup. And the Mets are a good offense. Washington is a bad team. uh, So, you know, in theory, that's a good start. And I'm going to cheat and just squeeze in one more thing before I I give up my time. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I said, uh, when I had my solo episode, I said that AJ Puck would be the A's closer before the end of the year. And I'm going to plant my flag on one more reliever to be a later season closer maybe sooner rather than later uh, i think john schreiber is going to wind up taking the reins of this red Sox closer job he gave up a dinger to austin hayes today yes but those were the first runs that he's allowed all year he made a recent appearance on pitching ninja which always bodes well for a pitcher 
because uh, it means they've got some nasty stuff. There just isn't an elite reliever in that Red Sox bullpen, and Schreiber's gotten the best results so far. He even got a two-inning two save recently. So, yeah, I like him to uh, eventually take that job. All right, dig it. Ride the hot hand. Sorry, I thought that one was important. I didn't mean to cheat. I'm sorry. It's okay. I I'm sorry, sweetie. You. It's okay, babe. Um, <laughs> that'll be it for this week's episode of In the Deep. Thank you all so much for joining us once again. We appreciate it. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us at In the Deep PL on Twitter. You can also follow us individually there at Schwebzi. That's S H W E B S I, no C, and Bunt Singles for myself. And we will be back next week with another episode. Schwebzi, send them out. Bye, friends. The irony of no sea in the deep.